Anyway, uh, it is great to be here uh, with you, opening up God's Word with you this morning. If you're part of The Rock, um, glad to see you uh, again. Or if you weren't here last time, it's great to see you. Or if you're a guest uh, as well, great to see you as well. Yeah, as Glenn said, uh, my name is Aaron Boswell. I'm on staff at Westside Church in downtown Vancouver. And uh, I'm the director of our training, uh, one of the directors of our training ministry. So um, part of our church planting network, as Glenn was saying, is, uh, is that, that we have men and women that are part of our church and some of our partner churches that God, they feel like God's calling them to either be uh, a leader in a church or a ministry director or a pastor or a church planter. And so we said, well, okay, so how do we try to train and equip and then mobilize those people to do what God is calling them to do? And that's how I got my job. Uh, Norm was like, why don't you help us with that? I was like, all right. Uh, and so that's what I have the great joy of doing. And so I'm thankful to do that and also to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, Glenn, thanks for opening up and allowing uh, guys like me to come and to, and to share and to speak. And um, just wanted you to know right from, from the hopper that, uh, man, you guys are a church that is just dearly loved by ours. Um, we're really thankful for you and pray for you often. Uh, we love that God has you here in Squamish, that you exist to make Jesus known. Uh, and we love having you as, uh, as family uh, that kind of lives in Squamish, you know, that you see every now and then uh, as they come into the city. Uh, some of you, maybe that's every day for work, but whatever the case, uh, we're glad that you're co-laborers with us in the gospel. And for our time together this morning in God's word, uh, we're going to be processing through uh, the importance of confession in the life of a Christian. Now, this might not be something that you uh, sit around and think about often, right? Your, your deep ponderings of your heart late at night aren't as you think through maybe you and God. The word confession isn't maybe something that you typically come up, up and think about, um, but it is something that is all over the pages of the Bible, um, and it's vital for, firstly, how we enter into a relationship with God, then for those of you who are Christians, it's a way that our relationship with God is maintained and upheld, and then in how we deal with other people. Um, this, this aspect of, of needing to confess and bring things kind of to light are things that we all kind of walk through. And so my prayer for us as we walk through this morning, as we open God's Word and consider these texts, that, that God would just meet us in our time, that it would be beneficial, um, and that as we walk away from this, we would be a people who... Uh, or maybe even a bit more open of how we fail and how we need grace from others, which is a vulnerable thing. Right? As a dude growing up in my family, for you to be vulnerable, like, hey, I've messed up and I, I need forgiveness for that. That wasn't a rhythm that we had. Uh, so it's had something that I've had to learn kind of over time. Um, and you might come from a family that's perfect and you guys always repent of sin and there's great forgiveness and deep joy and just love just trickles out. Uh, but I, I doubt it uh, because I know you're all broken, kind of like me. So uh, I'm hoping that, uh, that this would be just beneficial and helpful for us together. So we'll pray and then we'll dive in. All right? Good. All right. So let's pray. So Holy Lord, we, we confess uh, firstly and foremostly that when we think about ourselves, God, we confess that we're riddled with sin. God, we know that this week, maybe even this morning, on our drive here, that we've been guilty of pride and unbelief, that as we've opened your word, that we've failed to find your mind in it, and we've neglected to seek you in our everyday lives. God, our transgressions and our shortcomings, they present us with, with what, what can seem to be just like a list of accusations. But we praise you that they will not stand against us if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. For, for we know that all has been laid upon him, 
And so we, we pray that we would not be ruled today by our passions, but rather by your grace, and that you would rule over us in liberty and in power. We also pray specifically for this morning uh, that you would grow us in our understanding of the importance of confession, that we would during this time continue to learn these rhythms of what it means to be your people. God, we love you and we pray all this in your name, knowing that we need your help in all of this. Amen. Amen. So our first text that we're going to dive into this morning is one that you uh, are probably familiar with, whether you have just kind of like walked in this morning and you know nothing about Christianity uh, or whether you've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years. Um, predominantly, you've seen it either uh, at hockey games on signs or football games or uh, other smattering of places. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up. We're going to be in John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. So John is a book in the New Testament, um, and it's all about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we'll be there. And then chapter three, or big, bold three, and then verses, or really tiny numbers, uh, 16 and 17. But as you're turning there, I wanted to lay out kind of on the table for us uh, a couple of things that we need to remember or be reminded or, or know as we're walking into this text um, so that way, if you're, if you're brand new into all of this, if you've been a Christian a while, that way we're kind of on the same footing. Um, there's, there's kind of these things that we need to know, these waters that we're kind of walking into. And if we don't understand what we're walking into, we'll kind of read verses 16 and 17 and they'll kind of fall flat, right? Um, and so I uh, wanted to kind of walk through five things for us to remember um, before we dive into John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So the first is this is that the Bible teaches that there is one God that we know of as three persons. Um, he's triune, that he's the three in one. As we sang a minute ago, he's our Father, our Son, and the Spirit, uh, which is a mystery to us as Christians, but this is how we believe God has revealed himself through the Bible. So we have one God that we know is three persons, the Father, Son, the Spirit, and there's one God. That's important to remember as we're walking into this text. Uh, secondly, that he is a personal God who cares about how we live in the world. He's not a God who's detached from everything. But he's a God intimately involved in the world, and he cares about us. Uh, thirdly, he requires that we worship him alone as God and that we live according to the way that he has commanded us to live. Uh, the, the Bible lets us know that God gives us laws, not because he's a killjoy, right? Like, not, like God's like not mean, sitting up in heaven like, well, you're having too much fun. Bam! Law. No more fun. Right? Like, that's not what we see in the God of the Bible. Instead, what we see is that God gives laws that are meant for our flourishing, that he loves us. He knows how you and I best operate and fit within the world that he's created. So he gives us laws that are meant for us to flourish. So this is not a good example, uh, nor am I saying that you are a one-year-old. But uh, my, my one-year-old this morning, even on our way here, I'm going to put him in his car seat. I'm clicking him in. And what is he doing? He's freaking out at me. He hates me in that moment, right? Like, he's like, no, like, he's angry. I'm trying to, like, clip him. I've got to, like, pull him down, click him in. He hates me, right? He cannot understand why dad's law is that I have to wear a seatbelt when I'm in the car. I was thinking about that this morning because I was clicking him in, and I was like, man, I do that with God on a lot of different ways. God says, hey, this law is meant for your flourishing, and I say, I hate it. Right? Like, the exact same thing. But God gives these laws for our flourishing. So in a way that my one-year-old can't understand why he has to wear a seatbelt, I understand, man, there are things that God has said, this is how life works best, that, that I don't have the full picture. And, and so I have to trust that God's heart is good, he's loving, he's kind, and he knows what is best for my flourishing. 
in the same way that my one-year-old has to trust. All right, dad has this. I don't maybe like this, but I love my dad. My dad loves me. Okay, here we go, right? Fourthly, um, we have not lived according to how God has created us to live. Uh, Our first parents, we read very early on in the Bible, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. They wanted to be like God and to make their own laws. Uh, They wanted to decide what is good and what is evil for themselves. And in so doing, in this rebellion against God, they said, I know you've given us these laws that are meant for our flourishing, but I say that law is not good. Instead of it being good, I say that it's evil. It's also what Adam and Eve are tempted with at the very beginning, to see what God has given them and for them to say, no, I want to be like God. I want to decide what is good and what is evil. And in so doing, they rebel against God, break his laws. And as a consequence of that, now the whole world is broken and busted and messed up. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last time that I was here, but it's outward. It's this outward brokenness, right? Even this past week, uh, things happen, trade deals fall through. We see brokenness in marriages and relationships, and we see brokenness in our community. We see brokenness in in our nation. We see brokenness in other nations. We can easily spot when things are broken, and we say all the time, well, that's not fair. That's That's not whatever. Like That's not just. That's not whatever. We see these broken things outside, but also, if we're really honest, we see it internally. I joke with all the time that, that it's sort of like, you know, you get so like hungry that you can't think or so tired that you should like pull over, right? Because like you're just going to fall asleep, right? Or like these things in our life, they just, they, they distort the way that we view things. And what we see in the Bible is God actually says it's because all of us is broken in every possible way that we're broken. Our minds, our wills, our intellects, our bodies are broken. Our sexuality is broken. All of us are broken and bent and skewed in every possible way. It's a, it's a bleak picture. That's all the, the result of what happens when we rebel against how God has made us as people to live and to flourish. And so the Bible says these things are outward, but also internally, this brokenness that, that we, you and I, we want to be like God, right? I mean, how, how often have I, in, in my life, I've read through the Bible and God says, oh, this is wrong. And I'm like, man, is it? I felt that internally. Am I going to be the one that decides if what God says is true or not? Or do I let God decide what is true and what is not? Right? That's what we're walking through, that we all have that brokenness inside of us. We all, you're just like me, we want to be God and decide for ourselves. And, and what we see is because of that, you and I deserve nothing but judgment from God. But fifthly, that although we deserve nothing but judgment from him, the God of the Bible has a gracious disposition towards us. He wants to save us from facing the judgment that we rightfully deserve. And that's the overarching storyline of the entire Bible, how God, the creator of all things, plans to save those who deserve nothing before him except judgment. He wants to redeem and restore and give life to all that is broken and sad and make it untrue. And these are kind of the waters that we're swimming into when we get into John chapter 3, is that kind of whole, whole backstory. Um, is, is what we need to kind of have the forefront of our minds as we walk into it. So, so read with me, John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17. This is God's word. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
See, the amazing thing about the God of the Bible is that he makes a way for rebels, you and I, those who deserve to perish, to have a, not a good relationship with him, to actually have a relationship with him instead of death. And we read the Bible and we see this quickly on, that this eternal life, this pardon for sin, this forgiveness from God, that it doesn't come through you and I being good people. See, oftentimes we think of Christianity and we think, oh, it's people who are trying to be good in order to win God's forgiveness of them. So just be good enough, be a good little boy or girl, and then God will be kind to you. But what we see in the Bible is that that is the opposite of of what God is saying. God is saying none of you are good. The The point in God's economy is not that you be good, but that God was good in your place. This is why Jesus comes. This is why God himself, God the Son, Jesus, lays humanity alongside of divinity and steps into time. The way that we put clothes on and walked out into the world today, our God entered into the scene to reveal his love for us, to come after us, so that he could offer us forgiveness and hope. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, this is how we know that we're loved by God. Right? In the midst of everything we can look at, remember a few weeks ago we talked about, do we look at our finances? Do we look at our performance? Do we look at our health? Where is a good place for us to have a firm footing to know that we're loved by God? And we can know that we're loved by God through the ups and downs of our everyday lives. We can have a rock-solid confidence in God's love towards us, come what may, because it has been displayed perfectly through Jesus. If you want to know, does God love me? The answer is yes, not because of what you have done, but because of what God has already done. See, it's, it's through the life of Jesus that we see what God loves and what God hates. Through the very miracles of Jesus, we see that God hates the brokenness in our world and he has a plan to redeem and to restore all things that are broken and sad and to make them untrue. See, God himself came so that we could know that. He came to manifest or fill up his love for us. And then his love is supremely put on display through the death of Jesus. He came that he might die so that the debt that we deserve to pay before God for rebelling against his laws has been paid by Jesus. It's been paid in full, which means this, that the God of the Bible who stands in the heavens, he does not demand that we somehow measure up so that we can come before him through religious performance or being good people or being really moral or anything like that. No, he is the God who comes to us when we are unlovely, able to offer nothing except for brokenness and sinfulness and dirtiness. And he says, I will clean you up. I will make you mine. Not because of what you bring into this, but because of what I do. And Jesus came so that you and I can be spared through his death in our place. He's born that he might die. And that's why the cross is the symbol of our faith as Christians. It's what we're known by. Why? Because if we want to see the love of God on display, the greatest, we look at the death of Jesus in our place. And that's how we know that God loves us. And if we paused and thought about how those of us who are Christians became Christians, one of the things that marked us kind of coming into this new relationship with God through Jesus is that we confessed our sin. We confess that we're broken and that we always have been. We confess that religion will not solve that, that morality will not solve that. We, we, we have come before God and we said, nothing that I can bring into this will solve this brokenness between you and I. So the only way that any of us entered into a relationship with God is through our confession 
that were broken sinners in need of a Savior. That, that is what has marked us from the beginning. We believe that Jesus is our Lord, God, King, and Savior, that he died the death we should have died, that he lived the life that we should have lived, and he raised from the dead, conquering over sin and death. And now, through him alone, we can have this right relationship with God. And so the first thing that we recognize as Christians that our, is that our confession was a grace, an undeserved gift of God through which we entered into a relationship with him. It's how we entered into this very beginning of this relationship with God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian today, maybe you've been exploring Christianity for a long time and, and all this information about God, it's, it's, a, it's a lot brand new and it kind of maybe seems a bit far-fetched, right? Like, like that God actually has a positive relationship towards you. He wants to forgive you. That might be foreign. You, you might have been brought up in a lot of various different world cultures and systems of belief that say, no, 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 it's how you can tidy yourself up and make yourself presentable to him. So is it true then that, that God says, no, that's not true? That, that God really wants to forgive you? It, is it true that he comes to wipe your slate clean and give you a brand new start so that you can become new people? Is that really what he's, he's doing? Can anyone actually offer you that? To, to forgive you, e- even, even to forgive you of that thing that still haunts you? You know, that, that thing that if you were to sit down and say, well, God could never forgive me because of blank. Even that. Does he really want to forgive you even of that? And you're not alone in those questions. I've asked those time after time. I've been asked that time after after time. It it almost seems as if God's love and the offer of his forgiveness and his undeserved kindness towards you is too great of an offer, doesn't it? It almost seems like, well, no, we should should play some part in that. We should, you know, maybe he pays 90, we pay 10, you know, or at least 1%, right? He pays 99, but man, I'll pay the 1%, you know what I mean? But, but that's not what we see. See, God knows all about us. He knows all about the dirtiness in your life. The things that if your, your partner or your spouse or your roommate, that if they knew about you, they wouldn't want to live with you. You know what I mean? Like if we put back here all of the thoughts that have gone through your mind in the last week that you've been ashamed of, that they might be like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want them in my life. God knows all of that. And he says, hey, I still want to forgive you of everything that you've ever done. This is incredible. So so God has promised this in 1 John 1, 9. He says it this way. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we examine that sentence, we see that there's this this if then. This is going to take some of you back to English language class, right? There's an if then relationship. Like if this happens, then this happens. So if we examine the sentence, we see that that kind of relationship exists here. So we understand that that we cannot be forgiven of our sins or cleansed from all unrighteousness unless we do what? Confess. Confess our sins, right? So apart from this confession, there is no forgiveness from God. But through confession, there is pardon, forgiveness, the slate cleaned, and God guarantees it. See, see, there is no God like the God of the Bible. This is his heart for you. 
He loves you like this. In, in this verse, John 1, 9, it's bookended by two other verses, which really highlight verse 9 and make it really, really beautiful. Uh, verses 8 and verses 10. And so let's read those together. That if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us, we're calling God a liar and his word is not in us. But friends, search your heart. We know that we have all sinned against God. And yet this gracious offer, oh, see it, God wants us to come and confess it so that he can cleanse us. He's willing and calls us to come and to confess, not so that he can maliciously condemn you, but rather he wants to cleanse you and forgive you for it. Isn't that crazy? It's sort of like, do you remember growing up, there was that teacher that was like, something happened in class, and they're like, all right, whoever the guilty party is, if you come forward, just confess it, nothing bad will happen to you. And then that person did, and then something bad happened to them. And like, come on, man. God is not like that. God is not like that. When we come before him and confess, he freely forgives us. Why? Because the penalty for that has already been paid by Jesus in your place. Isn't that great? This is the God who beckons us to come, confess our sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why I say we just bring guiltiness to the table, and he brings righteousness and innocence and purity and cleanness, and he says, let's switch, you and I. And it's through our confession and repentance away from that, that that you and I are able to be made clean before God. And so today, if you feel yourself strangely drawn to God's promised forgiveness, then come and confess before him even that sin that you think God could never forgive you of. Friend, I promise you, he can and he will and he's willing and he's waiting. So, So confess to him and he will forgive you confess that you are indeed a sinner before God and that you need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. He saved you from facing judgment because he stood condemned in your place. If you will but come and confess your sin and believe upon Jesus, he is ready and willing to forgive you and pardon you from everything. A new slate, brand new start to come to him. So confession is firstly and foremostly a grace from God through which you and I enter a relationship with him. Christians, remember when you became a Christian, that's how you became a Christian. But then secondly, for us now, for those of you who are Christians, confession to God is actually a daily rhythm for us. I don't know if you've thought about that either. It's this daily rhythm that we have as Christians. See, it's not that we, we confessed our sin before God and believed upon Jesus a really long time ago, and, and we never continue or maintain that, because we all sin constantly, daily, hourly, moment by moment, in the car, on the way here. My kids are both screaming, bloody murder, because one of them wants the cup that has the red lid, and the other one also wants the cup that has the red lid. And we don't have two cups that both have red lids. So they're arguing, screaming at one another. Just, there it is. 
boys, be quiet, right? Like this, there it is. Constantly, you and I, we're, we're in this place where our hearts, we're constantly find ourselves rebelling against God, wanting to be God, wanting to control others, wanting our law to be supreme over everyone else. See, friends, our, our hearts resonate with that. And, and what we've learned and what Christians really throughout the millennia have learned in different ways and explained is that our hearts are idol factories, I-D-O-L, that we make idols out of anything that can be. We take really good things and make them God things in our lives. And we, we put all of our time, attention, focus onto that, whether it's your career, your education, your children, your bank account, your health. There's, there's a million things that we find our identity in apart from him. And that is what the Bible calls sin. See, our entire lives as Christians are all about confessing our inability to live our lives apart from the Spirit's constant enabling and Jesus' righteousness in our place. And this is all that we do in our daily rhythm as Christians. So we constantly need to be reminded over and over and over again, before God, I know that I'm a sinner. My only hope is Jesus. This is our daily rhythm. This is why if, you, if you've been around the Bible at all, who, who in the Old Testament constantly forgets that God has redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt? Israel, as they're wandering in the wilderness. And they're like, oh, God's not going to provide for us. Constantly. And then what is Moses constantly doing? Remember, remember, God literally saved you out of slavery and it's with you. He's daily providing food for you. Daily. Right? Like, I don't know how God can make this more clear for you. And I read that and I'm like, dang, I'm like that. I constantly freak out. God's not going to provide. God's not going to do this. This happens, this happens, this happens. God constantly is calling me, remember, your greatest enemy has been destroyed. The wrath of God, the just judgment of God against you has gone because of Jesus. Remember that. Trust me. Walk in that awareness today. Daily, this is what we walk through as Christian believers. And, and one of the most refreshing diagrams I came across in my, kind of in my growth as a Christian is, uh, is this little diagram. Do we have it? No, that's okay. I will, I will, I will image it for you. I'm a great imager. Uh, so imagine there's a V that goes this way. Uh, on the top, um, what we see is, is we see a, a growing understanding of uh, God's holiness. And then going this way, a growing understanding of my sinfulness, right? Because as we grow in understanding of how holy God is and his laws, what does that make us do? Oh, dang, uh, I'm not living up to that, man, right? And so what we see, and imagine that diagram, there's a, a smaller cross, a bigger cross, and then a bigger cross. And so what this diagram kind of really helps show uh, is that you and I, as we go throughout our lives as Christians, we will constantly, as we read God's word and we're around God's people being sharpened and growing in our faith, we will constantly see God as more and more and more holy. And we will constantly see you and I as more and more and more sinful as we don't measure up. And the cross of Jesus will become bigger and bigger and bigger to us the older that we get. And some of you will understand this, even in your life right now. I, I remember when I was 25, I was single, and uh, I had met this really cute girl at Starbucks, and I was like, what's up, girl? Uh, and we had started dating, but I was still living on my own. And, uh, and I, I, uh, I was a pastor at that point. I, I had helped plant a church in Winnipeg, and, and I was there, and I was like, oh, yeah, my sin with God, 
Like, I'm doing, I'm like, yeah, I struggle, man. I feel you. But there was nobody at home that I really butted up against a whole lot. So I kind of thought, oh, yeah, like, I'm a sinner. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't until I got married and I had this person now living in my house with me day after day after day after day where I realized, oh, dang, I am a sinner. Like, I am broken, man, like messed up. Like, you're seeing the effects of you on another person and you're like, man, I thought I was a sinner before I got married. Whoa, like I'm messed up. And then after about a year and a half, we were kind of like, okay, we kind of have figured out rhythms, and yeah, there's still things that happen, but after kind of that first year of marriage, you kind of, you know, you're over that, and you're kind of in this little joyous moment, and in that little joyous moment, God gave us a tiny little baby, and when that tiny little baby came into our world, guess what happened? I realized even more so how broken I am, right? All of a sudden, I'm not, I'm not sleeping, ever. I just, you just never sleep, right? The first, like, year. I don't know how long it lasts for you. Maybe a, a couple of days. Probably forever. Right? You, just, you don't sleep anymore. You're hangry. You're tired. And you see man all over again how much of a sinner you are. And then we kind of, okay, good rhythm. And then we had another one. And then it's all over again, man. And, and the beauty that I've talked about with when I've talked to Christian brothers and sisters that are older than me, and they're like, man, just wait until your kids reach high school. You will find just sin just within your heart constantly because you want to rule over them, right? You want to be God. You want them to measure up to your things. And when they don't, you'll see it's coming. And then I have friends of mine that have kids that are in their 20s and they're like, oh, just wait. Just wait till they start choosing careers and getting married. And then you bring this other sinner into your family. That's the sister-in-law or daughter-in-law or son-in-law. And then just... And then they have grandkids. And then you really see how much you, you, your heart is broken because now you have to quit parenting your kids and allow them to parent on their own. They're like, it just never ends, man. It's just constantly growing and growing and growing of, man, I thought I was a sinner when I was a teenager. Oh, I thought I was a sinner when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And what we find as Christians as we go throughout our lives is that we constantly realize more and more and more so God is holy, we are broken, and the thing that I love about talking with older believers, those who are in their 80s and 90s, is their affections for the cross of Jesus are greater and greater and greater. Why? Because they see that really, apart from Jesus in their place, they have no hope. So the cross of Christ becomes more and more and more important. This, this is why I say that our lives are a constant rhythm of confession that we are broken and that we need a savior. And so, Christian, an evidence that you were brought into God's family is through your confession, and then our ongoing rhythm will likewise be confession. And so when you think of your relationship with God right now, brothers and sisters, how do you feel about your relationship with God? When was the last time that you actually confessed your sin to God? Really specific things. Right, like, like of ways that you're not measuring, not, not just repented to other people and confessed to other people, but when was the last time you confessed your sin before God so that your sins can be forgiven by God? As, as I was thinking about this week, I, I was just wrecked all over again on that, of, of how I, I am not good in the rhythm of that. I'm guessing... If, if you're my Christian brother or sister here as well, you're not very good at that either. And this is why we need this, 
this reminder often, daily, we are Israel. We forget the Lord is providing. We trust in him. We need to confess our sins. And, and when we do so, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So uh, confession is how we enter into the Christian life. Confession is the rhythm that we are to always constantly have in our relationship with God. But also confession is a regular rhythm given to us for our flourishing as God's people with one another. With one another, you and I. Confession is a gift of God for us in how we relate to one another. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about confession being a gift from God, right? You, you may not put confession in the gift category uh, of what God has given you for your flourishing, but that's what we see what, what happens, especially if you've experienced real confession in your home and life. For example, think about when a, a roommate, a, a child, a spouse, a, a partner, a friend, a coworker, when someone confesses to us what they have done wrong, and they ask for our forgiveness, think of the healing emotionally and relationally that takes place in that, in that relationship. Think of the flourishing that is able to happen because things have been brought to light instead of swept under the rug and never dealt with. Or, or think about the opposite of that, right? I, I mean, we all have people in our lives um, that we have sinned against or they have sinned against us in some way or another, and, and maybe they've given some kind of half-hearted apology to you. Like, oh yeah, sorry I did that. But they never really owned what they did. They never named it, never actually asked for your forgiveness. They just said, oh yeah, sorry about that, whatever. But it wasn't, I'm sorry about that, whatever for you. It was important to you. And, and because of that, now you, you just, your relationship isn't the same. Do, do you have people like that in your life? Half-hearted apologies, brokenness, not really ever... It's just never the same. I, I bet you do. I, I, I have lots of them. This is part and parcel of being a human, right? And, and imagine how your relationship with them would be better if there was true admittance of what they had done and if they had actually asked for forgiveness. Better yet, what if, what if I did that to people that I've wronged? Or what if you did that to people that you had wronged? You see, I, I think about the relationships that I could have today if there was genuine admittance of when I was sinning against somebody and, and I actually confessed and asked for their forgiveness. Like, how many relationships could I have today that I don't have because of me and, and my pride, because of me and my, my not wanting to be vulnerable and open about how I'm broken and I need, and I've offended and, and intentionally done something against someone and so I need their forgiveness? Instead, I just leave it alone. And see, this is why I believe that confessing our sins to one another is a gracious gift given to us by God for our flourishing. Um, if you have a Bible, you can look with me um, at James chapter 5, uh, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. Um, while you're turning there, uh, in this portion of the letter, James is explaining there's someone who's sick, um, and through their sickness and the elders of that church praying for this individual, um, some kind of sin, sinfulness came, up, came to light that needed to be repented of um, for this person. Uh, somehow their physical sickness was tied to their spiritual sickness in a way that, that we're not told exactly how, but, but as this person confesses to the elders of their church, hey, there is this sin in my life. 
as they confess that, God actually heals them of their physical malady at the same time. So they have both physical and spiritual freedom as a result of confessing their sins, which is beautiful. And so we see uh, James 5, 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its, in its working. And, and, and I've found that to be true, that, that the point that James is making here, right, is that confessing our sins to one another is drastically important for our flourishing spiritually, but also physically, personally, and interpersonally. And, and I remember for me, one of the very first times that I realized the importance, the real drastic importance of acknowledging sin in a really direct way in my life and intentionally asking for forgiveness. I don't know if you have one of those moments in your life that you can, there it is. I remember the first time I really did that. It kind of seems like basic humanity, like we should all have a class that teaches us basic human skills, right? Like, like in high school, if you could have signed up for, hey, I'm sorry that I did that to you. I really messed up. Do you forgive me? Yes, I do. 101. You know what I mean? Because like how many people do you know? That's not their world. That wasn't mine growing up, right? And so, so it seems like basic humanity. I wasn't born into a household that did that very well. We, as we said, as I said, we swept it under the rug. We never talked about it. We just moved on. And instead of actually dealing with it, we just did an activity together and then never talked about it. So the number of things that my family and I have, the laundry list of things we just can't talk about anymore, is huge. Just huge, man. Like, can't talk about it at, at all. And we never, we never said, hey, I did this and I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And maybe you're from a family just like mine. And, and so I wasn't born in a household that did these things well, but I remember the very first time that I genuinely acknowledged sin, I confessed it, I took full ownership of it, and I genuinely asked for forgiveness of it. And it's so quickly in my mind because it was just a few short months ago. That's how broken I am. Not that long ago. Uh, my wife and I, we were at the marriage conference back in April uh, in Vancouver, and the guy speaking, uh, it, this kind of came to light as, as he was talking and he said, he said something like, you know, we as Christians, we're really bad at confessing sin to one another. And I was like, what do you mean? Like in, internally, I didn't verbalize this. Internally, I was like, what do you mean? I'm really good at confessing. My, my parents they didn't really model that. I do that really well with my kids. I always say that I'm sorry, whatever. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, well, we say things kind of like, oh, I'm sorry I spoke to you like that. And then we leave it there. And then the other person says, it's Okay. And then you just kind of move on. Realize this next time you're watching a TV show. How does someone say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. And then it moves on. I swear to you, that's always how it goes. And that's how it went in my life for a really, really long time. And I was like, so what's wrong with that? He said, I am sorry. It's okay. He said, uh, well, it may sound like this is a pretty normal way for you to say uh, that someone is forgiven. But he said, the problem with that is that the person being sinned against is saying the words, it's okay but it's not okay for someone to treat you like that or to sin against you like that. That's not okay. I mean, he said we should only use the word it's okay if like, if after this gathering, we're sort of like over there getting coffee and I bump into you and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And you're like, oh, it's okay. That's a, that's a great place, right? Accidental, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. He said, that's great. He said, but when someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, when someone uses their anger or their words or manipulation, when they're doing these things against you, it's not okay that, that they did that. 
And when he said that, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, it's not okay that I do that to people. And for them to even say, oh, it's okay, is not, is not okay. And, and, and I was thinking about that and, and how often that my wife and I have responded to one another like that in our marriage. I'm sorry, it's okay. Or even with my kids, I'm sorry I did that. Oh, it's okay. And so the speaker said, instead of the person confessing, or said the person that's confessing should say, I'm sorry that I spoke to you like that. It was wrong and, and it was kind of mean. I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? And then leave a space. Do you forgive me? You just ask the question. Right? Sort of like how, if you remember back into the dating world, for those of you who are out of it, the first time you ask that person, like, will you go out with me on a date? And you're just waiting. You know what I mean? Just silence. You're like, in the same way, he said, when, when you ask for someone to forgive you, you admit what you've done wrong, say that you've done wrong, ask for the forgiveness, button it, shut it, wait. And allow the other person to say, yes, I forgive you. And that blew my mind. I, I had never heard somebody walk through the process of how do you actually admit when you've done wrong, like name it, and then ask for their forgiveness and then respond with, Yes, I forgive you. And, and so my, my family, we, we, we have kind of begun kind of processing through that, like in the Boswell household with my wife, but also with my kids. So we say, I'm sorry I did this. It was wrong. And here's why. Do you forgive me? The other person says, yes, I forgive you. And then there's a whole bunch of kissing and hugging and tickling. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's restoration. And then, and then we pair that with James 5 and other places in God's word where we see that confessing our sins to one another is really just part and parcel of the Christian life. Like that freaks you out if you're like, well, how does that work here then? How, how does that work here with us as God's people gathered together around his word and trying to make Jesus known here in Squamish? Well, that's what God calls us to do. It's part and parcel of the Christian life is that, is that the rock church be a place where there is confession of sin, asking for forgiveness and repentance given, not a place where people sweep things under the rug and never actually have restoration, right? We're not to go around saying, saying oh, well, yeah, it's just okay. We're supposed to own what we've done wrong, ask forgiveness, have restoration. And, and as Christians, um, I don't know if you've thought about this. The only reason that we know one another is because we all have collectively admitted that we're mess-ups. Like our relationship with God, like we have no hope apart from Jesus. So we all come here and we're like, yes, I'm a sinner, man. I am a full-out sinner. That's the only reason I have any hope like, is Jesus. So we gather, sing songs about Jesus. It's great. But then, so we naturally say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Absolutely, I'm a sinner. But then when someone sins against you, what do we do? We get offended. We get upset with them. We say things like, how dare they do that against me? They sinned against me. Almost like we get surprised by it. How dare they sin against me? You know what I mean? Somebody in your community group, they'd say something or do something and you're like, how dare they? I'm just going to leave and go find another church. How dare someone there sinned against me? Well, yeah, the whole point is that we're all sinners and we're going to sin against one another. And so part of being a basic kid in God's family is how do we admit when we've done wrong, ask forgiveness and receive it? Restoration, hugging, tickling, moving on, right? Maybe not hugging and tickling. That may, that may, that may be weird, but, but you know what I mean? Like, this is what God calls us to as, as his people. 
We're all going to need this as a normal rhythm of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I've found that even as I've gotten older in my faith, that I'm a little bit less outwardly sinful than I used to be. All right, if there's some of you who maybe you've been around Christianity for a while, you've grown in your relationship with God, there are certain kind of outward things that maybe if someone is brand new into Christianity, they're kind of struggling with and walking through. I found over time, I've been a Christian 26 years, that's not a thing that I necessarily struggle with or walk in at this point in, in my life, but inwardly, goodness, inwardly, I am a wreck And I'm a man who needs to verbalize my internal brokenness or else you may not know what it is. You you may not know the internal messed up, manipulative, angry heart that I have unless I tell you. I was chatting with my wife about this a couple of months ago and uh, she was like, you know, I can't tell sometimes when you're upset unless you actually say that you are. She's like, if you're mad or angry, I, I, I don't know. I think and I, we attributed that through counseling, praise God, too. When I was uh, growing up as, I'm the third born. Anyone else? Third borns? So, or fourth or fifth or sixth. If you're after the second one, uh, you were in a family where you didn't have enough time to where if something happened, you were able to like sit down and let's just process through all of your emotions right now. And how's your heart? And how are you doing? Right? So for me as a kid, something happens and it's like, hey, we don't have time for that. Uh, we're going to Walmart. Just get in the car, cry on the way to Walmart. You know what I mean? Like, and so I wasn't taught how to like walk through my emotions very well. Uh, and so it, I just internalize everything. And, and, and you might be like me. And so some of us, this is, this is a task to learn how we begin to confess our sins to one another. Because someone may not even know that we've sinned against them unless we tell them. And that's huge for them to see you as someone who also is broken. It's this idea that Christians are people that grow out of brokenness and grow out of a need of, of needing Jesus every day is not true. Remember, we, we grow more, we see more and more how sinful we are as we see how holy God is. The cross becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I've been learning that rhythm of confession for my entire life, but I only feel like recently I've attained some of the tools to kind of work on it better. And admittedly, I am a work in process. But I imagine that so are you, right? I've had many times, even this week, where I've confessed that I, I, I haven't confessed rightly. I, I've been silly. I've, man, I, I've been working on this and praying for you. And, and I, I, I've sinned against my family in lots of ways, my friends, in lots of ways. And, and so I need to confess that to them, to you before God. And and likewise, you also, there are things going on in your life and world that we need to confess unto one another so we can have forgiveness as well. And, and, And although you and I may have years of not being in a healthy relationship with people where we're able to be open about that, we need to be. And we need to be sometimes the first to do that. Have you ever noticed that some of your best friendships are people where you've been open about something deep in your life? And then what happens to the other person? Do they just say, oh, pff, gone? Sometimes. But sometimes what do they do in, res- in response? They open up about something really deep in their lives. And then you open up about something deep in your lives. They open up something deep. And then you have this deep and abiding friendship. And that's what God calls us to be as his people, or people that freely confess our sins uh, to one another, uh, and we, can, we uh, repent for them. 
And so uh, I pray that this, this would continue to mark your life as it, as it would, uh, as it continues, I, I pray to do mine. And so that's why I see the beauty of confession. That's why when, when I was asked if I could speak again today, I was like, I'd love to. Because I, what I found is that, that this beauty of, this, of confessing is so integral in my own life and in yours. Right? If you think about how you entered into the Christian life, if you think about how you maintain a relationship with God through confessing your daily need of Jesus and repenting of your sin and confessing that, and then you think of we, if we're trying to and striving to be God's people who flourish as his people, that confession must be something that marks us. And so if I may, Rock Church, God has given you the distinct responsibility to relationally, actively, and persistently bring yourselves before him in confession. And in order to grow your relationship with God, in order to strengthen your relationship with one another, and to really see flourishing happen, for God to do everything that he wants to do here in Squamish through your body, confession must be part and parcel of who you are as his people. Confessing your need for Jesus, confessing your ongoing need for Jesus, and confessing that you are still broken and a sinner in many, many ways and need God's grace. And so do the other people around you. This must be who we become and continue to be if we want to flourish as the people of God on the mission of God of making Jesus known here in Squamish. And it's the same thing for our church in Vancouver to continue being this, this, this light of what does it look like to be these new men and women who have been birthed and brought into this new relationship who are free at being open about our brokenness so that others may see their great need for Jesus as well and their own brokenness as well. So this is, our, this is our aim and this is our, our heart. And so let's continue in on that. And let's continue to make Jesus known as we do so. So let's pray together and then we'll enter into a time of response where we thank God that it's not by, it's not by our confession of sin to one another that we're made righteous, right? That's not how we gain brownie points with God. It's an overflow out of the fact that you and I confess our sin before God maintain that as an ongoing relationship with God, and then extend it interpersonally with other people. So first and foremost, that we're made righteous through Jesus alone. So let's pray, and then we'll enter into time of responding and thanking God for his kindness given to us through Jesus that we are able to extend to others.